This is the Degradation Degenerates Podcast at Alethio Media Network with Raven and Oliver. Alrighty, welcome back to the Degradation Degenerates Podcast with me, your host Raven, and my co-host Oliver. A happy Tuesday to everybody listening in today. Happy Thanksgiving, even though that's past, but uh, yeah, welcome back. It's a bittersweet end, It is. I do have to say. It is a bittersweet end, because it also means that we will probably be going at least once a month, for sure, during the off-season to just be talking about any big news, but we will also be coming back for, you know, car reveals, stuff like that. Little season predictions. We actually have... A another person going to be joining and voicing their opinions, and uh, I just got the confirmation that he'll be joining, so he should be entering in to the call any second now. But there, yeah, there he is. Welcome, our welcome guest in. for the episode, Alex. Howdy, howdy! It's a disappointing day. Waking up this morning, knowing that I'd have to wait ninety-two days to watch my next F one race. But that's how it goes every single season. I'll find stuff to keep myself entertained. We got video games. We got other sports to watch. So, you know, it's going to be a decent off season. We'll definitely be coming back with a show for car reveal. I know that for a fact, but. There is a lot to talk about today, though. There really is. I want to I want to start with I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but I went full commitment uh, on Sunday morning, staying up to watch the Formula Two Championship decider uh, at three in the morning before F1, because this has been a very, very hotly contested season between uh, Teo Porcher at ART and Fred Vesti at Prema. Um, it's it's one of the best championship fights I've seen uh, in F2 in a minute. I mean, last year you had Felipe Drogovic, who just ran away with the championship, but this one this year was one that was changing race to race. Um, and I knew it was going to be a phenomenal, a phenomenal race to watch this weekend, both of them, the the sprint and the feature race. Uh, Fred Vesti came into the weekend, I believe 25 points behind Teo Porcher uh, in the championship. And the max amount of points you can score in an F2 weekend is around 30, given your your sprint win, your feature race win, your fastest laps in both the races, and then your two points for pole position uh, in Formula 2. And on Saturday, Fred Vesti had one of the races of his career to absolutely dominate the sprint race, starting P2 on the grid, taking the lead uh, a little far in and just running away with it. And you had Teo Porcher finishing out of the points. So the, uh, the championship came down to 16 points before the race on Sunday. And... It was a it was a scenario where Fred Vesti had to score a podium finish, take the fastest lap, and pray that Teo Porcher had a had a bad race. But there was a there was a lot of strategy that was involved. You had Vesti starting P9, you had Porcher starting P14. And it was a, it was a race of strategy, it was a race of attrition. And it that also was one of the best races of Frederick Vesti's career to fight through uh, from P9 all the way onto the podium uh, with some of like the best 
attacking racing tire management while still pushing to the to the maximum was some of the craziest stuff i've ever seen but it was it was uh it was in vain for him given one of the cars he had to pass in that championship hunt was his rival Teo Porcher who had some phenomenal defensive driving to to hold Vesti's charge for a couple laps and coming into the last lap of the race you still had Vesti off the podium um and he got into this insane fight uh in the last two sectors of the lap with uh Red Bull Jr. Zane Maloney and it ended up getting so heated with Zane just fighting for podiums that are a very rare occurrence for him and Fred fighting for the championship that they collided. Uh, Maloney spun off the track. Fred Vesti somehow kept going and finished on the podium, but Teo Porcher just finished high enough to take the championship from Fred Vesti. And it was, it was a very emotional moment because Teo Porcher is definitely one of the hottest young talents uh, in motorsport, he definitely has an F1 future ahead of him with Alfa Romeo when, when Valtteri or Joe leave Alfa Romeo. That's that's definitely going to happen. But it was just it was very disappointing as a fan of uh, as as a fan of Fred Vesti, given how unlucky of a season he had. Teo Porcher won one race the entire season, and Vesti won seven. Um, Vesti just had some really bad moments on his side a lot of unlucky stuff happened but Teo Porcher just showed that consistency is the thing that wins a championship but it was it was a phenomenal race to stay up for and it's what made the weekend for me I don't know if you guys caught any of it but it was just phenomenal yeah I saw the highlights but otherwise I was <clears throat> fast asleep for some festive activities that I do when I go home for the holidays so fortunately I wasn't able to watch the F2 race but from what I heard and from what you told me and what I read and stuff it did seem like it was a great season it seemed like it was way more exciting than last year and, absolutely you know I think that could be a kind of foreshadow into what next year's race will look like and kind of oh absolutely we talked a little bit about you know, some of the grid spots being opened because there's going to be four new cars potentially in the next six years. So a lot of these guys that we're seeing in Formula 2 will probably be on the grid in that time. So it's going to be really exciting to see how these guys really adjust into the future. But who do you think a uh, quick little uh, prediction for next year's F2 since... Porcher cannot race for F2. Vesti also won't be racing either. Um, I I don't know if he's going to go into another discretion of racing for a year, but him and Prema did confirm that he's not going to race next year. Um, Porcher Porcher is definitely going to sit on the sidelines and just be a reserve driver for Alfa Romeo for a year, probably go for a seat in 2025. But if you're looking for my prediction on who the championship battle is going to be between next year. I want to say it's probably going to be between Ayumu Uwasa in his third season in F2. He's the hottest Red Bull junior on that grid. And I'd say another one that is very exciting to look at is um, 
uh, Gabriel Bordoletto. He's the F3 champion who's graduating to F2. And this kid absolutely dominated the F3 championship in the way that somebody like Oscar Piastri did a couple years ago. And I think this kid is going to have a season to remember. It's not going to be, oh, I'm fighting for the, you know, top rookie title. I think he will be fighting for the championship in his first season. So those are my, those are my two big guys. All right. Moving on to the actual F1 race. You know, do we want to talk about the actual events at that happened during the race? And then we can talk about a little bit more of the general after things. Yeah, the race itself was kind of a snooze fest. I think that the one thing that really kept it going for me was just watching those those battles that needed to be resolved in both the constructors and the drivers championship. I mean, you had a, you had a four way fight for P four between Norris, Leclerc, Sainz, and Alonzo for, uh, for P four. And then you had the Mercedes Ferrari fight for P two in the constructors. You had the Alpha Tauri Williams fight for P seven in the constructors. And those ones really went down to the wire. There's a, there's a lot to be talked about with those. Like you could, you could see all of those drivers that were involved in those battles were very much fighting their hearts out, especially Charles Leclerc. It, it, it's so rare to see Leclerc take on a driver strategy role. That's something you really only see with science. He's the one who likes to talk back to the team. Charles has always been more of a, I'm going to listen to the team. They're going to do the best thing they can for me. And I'm just going to hope it's going to work, but it, you got that little glimmer of hope that Charles has had enough of Ferrari type strategy and is really trying to take stuff into his own hands. Um, You're getting to the end of the race and there is one position between Ferrari and and Mercedes in this championship on track. All, All Leclerc needs to do is finish second and Russell needs to finish fourth. And Perez played a huge part in that with his five-second penalty um, to where, you know, Leclerc was just done with what Ferrari was saying. They just wanted him to push on, push on, finish as high as you can. And Leclerc said, no, I want you to give me consistent updates on the gaps between Checo and Russell. If, uh, if Checo's fast enough, I want to let him pass, and I want to let him build that five-second gap that he needs to build to Russell, and I'll just you know, toe on behind him and just use the slipstream that I get from him so that I can, you know, overtake him uh, after the race with that five second penalty. But he, him and I are far enough ahead uh, to where Russell won't, you know, benefit from Sergio's penalty. And unfortunately it wasn't enough, but Charles did exactly what he needed to do. And it was so good to watch. Yeah, it was really, it was really a, entertaining to watch and just seeing him not only just you know driving his heart out out there on the last 10 laps of the race but also trying to do be his own race strategist is really really insane and just shows how much he really wanted the constructors cup and he also had no help he also yeah because signs couldn't set a lap to get out of q1 you know, he had his crash in practice as well, which was very strange. But he was fighting for that that constructor's place essentially by himself all race. 
I have, so. a, I have, a, I have a question for you. Do you, do you think, yeah, what, go for what, it. Do you, what do you think uh, is in the future for Leclerc? It's, it's tough for me to, to say, because I, I, I think Charles' allegiance to Ferrari is stronger than any other hopes that he has to move to a better team on the grid. Charles has said many times that he wants to win a championship with Ferrari. That is his main goal in Formula One. I don't see anything pulling him away from that team. Do you think he does? Do you think he wins a championship? In the current state of uh, of Ferrari personnel, no. And Red Bull absolute dominance? I don't. I don't see it. Okay. Well, here's another question then. Now that the, the, the RB 19 is out, what, what do you see for Red Bull next year? The RB 20 is going to be better. I don't think it will. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it will be better. I think they're going to try to copy exactly what they did this year. And, you know, hopefully with some of the minor, minor adjustments that were made, I know the car is going to be a little bit shorter. So yeah, that, and and here's a little, future kind of uh guessing do you think the same thing that happened to red bull last year where they went over their budget cap is going to come out this year again no no i I think they were way better with it this year and they had way less incidents you know that would cost them a lot of money like crashes that kind of stuff i think it also was them just being hyper aware of not breaking the budget cap again because that would, I mean, imagine I mean, if they, they had that budget. They went over imagine, qu- quite substantially. They did, but hey, imagine they, if they, they had, had a the pretty budget. big, they had a pretty big catering budget. All right, you take that back right now. But um, I, do I see them winning the championship next year? Yeah. Do I see them being as dominant next year and winning 21 out of 22 races? Absolutely not. I think Red Bull will win around 75% of the races next year, but it's not going to be like this, oh, this there's one race that they didn't win. Um, I think it'll be more hotly contested, but they'll still they'll still win the championship. Yeah, I think Mercedes will have a much better car, hopefully, and then McLaren. Ferrari as well, and McLaren. McLaren's McLaren, gonna be really interesting. Aston Martin is gonna be one of the biggest questions on the grid because with like their drop McLaren off this, this season, year started off as like. The, kind of like the biggest losers on the grid. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But they then, were easily top three worst cars. But then Aston Martin took that role towards the end. And like you said, with Fernando, and oh, we can get into his driving during the race, but man, like he did so dominant in the beginning of the season. And then yeah, the it, car just crapped fell. itself. It really just died, essentially. I would have loved to see, you know, if you could combine Aston Martin's beginning of the season and then McLaren's end of the season into one team, how a team like that would have performed like that. That's all you have to think about to see like what McLaren and what Aston Martin missed out on. If they could have kept, if Aston Martin could have kept the trajectory they were on at the beginning of the season and finished like McLaren did just how high they would have finished. They would have, they would have walked with P2 and the constructors easily. And I, I just don't know what went wrong because they were bringing updates very often. And it seems like all the updates they brought were pulling that car backwards somehow. I think it was that. And then they also were just starting to focus on next year's car because, well, and they were because also, after uh, the first few updates didn't go well, I think it's like, okay, we better just start spending money elsewhere, essentially. 
I mean, they also have Lance Stroll as a driver, so I don't know how that's going to do them good at all. Yeah, but probably all that budget you know. had to go into fixing the car, but you know. Oh, that Singapore crash was crazy. Let's go back to Fernando mm. during the race real quick. The strategy of just letting people through on corners so he can get DRS on the straights and have better Dude, access. That's, better exit. That's some speed. yeah, that is some Alonzo driving you see from like twenty twelve. I remember this this one clip that uh that I've I've seen so many times. Like I I saw it the first time like maybe five, six years ago of um I think it was 2012 Canada, Hamilton and Ferrari, or Hamilton and uh, and Alonso were fighting. Hamilton was in his McLaren, Alonso was in a Ferrari, and they were going down to the hairpin corner at Canada, and Fernando purposefully braked so that Hamilton would pass him just so that he'd get DRS on that super long straight down to the wall of champions. Um, and it's like, that's exactly what that reminded me of. And it's so fun to see every time because nobody does that better than Fernando Alonso. I think and it's th- there were the times whack. during the race where it was working out really well. Yeah. And I do think a part of that is just like kind of endurance racing because they don't oh, yeah, have like, DRS. So you got to maximize the speed out of the corners. So giving up this uh, spot just so you can get better exit speed and, you know, maybe slipstream DRS and F1 it really did show in the stats the where he finished, you know, sixth on the grid, seventh on the grid. Yep. Yeah, he finished he finished uh, sixth or seventh. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I believe he finished sixth, and then Perez's penalty pushed him down to seventh. If I'm yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, he finished seventh. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, this guy. This guy knows how to eke all the performance out of a car. Like, there, I, I personally don't believe that Aston Martin should have finished any higher than, you know, maybe eighth or ninth. But when you've got Fernando Alonso in the car, it's a completely different story. That guy will eke every single point out of a car that he can. And I mean, just look at Aston Martin's point differential between the two drivers. I mean, over the course of the season, you have Fernando Alonso beating. Lance Stroll 17 to four in the races and beating him 19 to three in qualifying. There's literally only two teams that have a bigger contrast than that. And it's Williams and, and Red Bull. That's another one. That's huge. The, the Logan Sargent getting whitewashed in qualifying. We'll say it was and it's fun so watching. Uh, it was fun watching uh, uh, Alonzo kind of throw shade every now and then at his teammate. Uh, Cause he, he could understand the car better than, uh, Ocon during the entire. Oh season. yeah, absolutely. You're saying back when he was at Alpine last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That guy, that guy gets on top of a car so quickly. It's it's actually unbelievable to watch. That guy is that guy is the best version of himself in any any car that he's in, and that's why I'd love to see him in a Red Bull or something. I think, I think Fernando Alonso could take the challenge to Max Verstappen. I would love but hey, to that's just a story see, for another day, you know? Yeah, I would love to see Fernando in the RB19 trying to just break Max's times on, like, certain laps. You know, I was watching um, Alex Albon's uh, interview a couple days ago, um, and he was talking about the car that Max drives, the RB19 that Max drove this year. and I saw how, this clip. I saw this clip. And, and just how how he likes to drive is so unconventional to every other driver that it 
it, it's like he said in the interview, I, I believe one of the quotes was that like, you, you know, you set your mouse sensitivity to the highest thing and, and one little movement, you're just, you're across the board and that's how Max likes to drive. And I think that totally plays into him being the teammate killer. Yeah. I think it's, nobody can get on top of a car like that. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think Alonzo would have trouble with that. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's fair, but I do. I, I think he would adapt better than drivers like Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon and Sergio Perez have, you know? Sure. But I just, I just don't think personally that he can get on top of it. Like Max does. That's a, that, that's a very fair statement, but I do want to, I want, I want to rotate to the Logan Sergeant, Alex Albon uh, scenario at Williams this year. Cause it's, it's pretty troubling. You know, getting whitewashed 22 to zero in qualifying. It's so funny because the last time that happened was with Alex Albon and Max Verstappen in yeah, 2020. To him. Yeah. Does this mean that uh, does this mean that Logan Sargent three years down the road is going to whitewash a rookie in a Williams? You know, absolutely not. Who are we getting? It's Logan Sargent. Who, <laughs> we can pray for our American brother, but the, I think the biggest thing with Logan this weekend was actually after the race, uh, the drivers went and did a dinner similar to what they did for Seb's retirement. And in the picture, there is uh, four noticeable absences from the the table. So apparently all the drivers were there except for both McLaren drivers Logan and Fernando Alonso. What do we think of this? You know, I'm kind of just praying that they were out of the shot. Maybe they were in the bathroom or something because you know, it, it, it has been this new trend that they'll, they'll all like go out to dinner at the end of the season to just, you know, celebrate their friendships and all that kind of stuff. Celebrate the end of the season. Maybe they, maybe they were busy doing something else. I don't know, but yeah, that table did did look smaller than it did last year. Alex, any thoughts? I I haven't I haven't seen this photo oh, of, really? of the of the of the dinner table. Do you know the last year's photo that we're talking about? Yes, yes, okay. that one. Uh, I mean, that one was trending on Twitter for a while. Yeah, yeah. So this and maybe one, it's just because last year was more monumental. Well, you yeah, know, Seb's leaving. Sebastian Vettel, literal icon of the sport four-time back-to-back-to-back-to-back world champion. That's a, it's definitely a big loss for F1. Which, you know, he might return. You know, I think Lando was just over the season. I think he was just ready to get on the golf course. I think, but that makes, that's where I'm like, well, if Lando couldn't wait just a little bit, then why wasn't Lance Stroll at Wimbledon the next day? So, (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's fair that is definitely fair and like he was just in the photo and that was like one of the shocking things it was that and oh i forgot two other drivers that were not there both Haas drivers were not there either so well maybe we know who the uh maybe we knew, know who the real friend group is ooh, in the paddock maybe they have drama juicy, juicy group chat now nah, you you know that there'll be some article about this on Sky Sports in the next week, just whole drama article about oh my goodness no McLaren drivers at the team dinner at the end of the season what does this mean? You'll see some stupid article like that for sure. If people want to look into it like that. Let's go to the constructors' cup. 
So we had, you know, Red Bull obviously dominated this year, but Mercedes in an F1 history, Mercedes, but I'll let you continue beating Ferrari by three points. Now, Lewis in Abu Dhabi was not having a good race. No, qualified 11th, finished 9th. That's not the Lewis Hamilton I know. No, and it's it's sad. That was not very hashtag blessed. That was not very hashtag <laughs> blessed. But you know, those those points were enough to really secure them. Like, Because with signs DNFing, I think if he finished, you know, 10th. Yeah, no, Science would have had to finish P8. Oh, yeah. Math. It's Yeah, Science being nowhere this weekend was literally the last thing Ferrari needed. Well, and back-to-back I, I back practice or quality or incidents with Signs is just so unlucky. It's so weird. He He was so consistent all season up to his Singapore win. Like, that was his euphoric moment of the season. That was the, the euphoric moment for any non-Red Bull fan of the season. But I feel like after Singapore, Carlos Sainz really dropped off and Leclerc went back to being that that number one driver, the number one prioritized driver at Ferrari. But I think, like, genuinely, given Leclerc's task was so hard that, you know, it, it was pretty set in stone that Mercedes was going to finish second in the constructors, I think the battle for P7 was actually more interesting to watch given, you know, Alpha Tauri were nowhere at the start of the season with the worst car on the grid. You had Nick DeVries in the other car. and Forgot he was even you know, there this season, not going to lie. It, okay, that's like one of the shortest F1 seasons in modern history, but I, I feel bad for him. But the resurgence of Alpha Tauri, especially with Yuki Sonoda, I think Yuki Sonoda performed really well this season. And with but the fact that three races where his car failure... Oh yeah. So like, we, imagine. I don't want to talk about that we streak. Don't, we don't have to, but like, imagine if he finished in anywhere in points. Like, it would be so much different for P seven and. Oh, absolutely! You had Liam Lawson finishing in the points in his first couple F one races. In those races that Yuki Sonoda had those mechanical failures on, which really so those, those are races Yuki could have definitely finished in the points. Exactly, and like, Alpha Tauri getting two racers in the points would be huge for them and really would have brought them above Williams because, you know, Sargent was super absent this year and he had his own troubles, but Albon's really looked good in the Williams. So yeah, they were, they were so close as well. Um, you know, Yuki absolutely drove his heart out, uh, on Sunday to get that, that spot himself. And, and he only leading, they only fell shy by three points as leading well. Leading the race for a little bit too—that's a huge highlight. Dude, that blew my mind to see, even if it was for like a lap or two, to see an Alpha Tauri leading by the end of the season after the absolute dismay that they were in in the beginning of the season. It was so cool. Like I, I don't think Abu Dhabi has or produces you know good races too often, bar Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one, um, but. There, there was still a lot to fight for. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming down to the wire. So you have some drivers pushing so hard. Like, it, it's the one thing I love about Abu Dhabi because there's always battles that have to be settled 
at Abu Dhabi, and you will have in every single championship that you watch at Abu Dhabi, Formula One and Formula Two, you you will get great races from those drivers that are fighting their hearts out for those positions. So it's the it's the one thing I love about Abu Dhabi. That was going to be. Would I rather it be Brazil? Yes. That was going to be but my next question: Is we take what would we're you, given? Would you rather have a different race be the last race of the year? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Would you rather have Brazil, Brazil, Brazil was or the, was Suzuki? The season ender for? I don't want Suzuka as as the last race of the season. I think that one is perfect where it is. I think they need to bring back Brazil as the final race of the season. It was like that for so many years, but the the thing that took uh, Brazil away was the money that Abu Dhabi pulled in. Yeah. Their their whole brand, the whole brand of the uh, of the Yas Marina circuit, it revolves around being the last race of the season and putting on a show. Which so which I don't sucks. think you as can a, fight as that. a watch like just a fan who just got into it. I wish the last race was you know not the best race of the year, but at least one of the more competitive ones. Dude, honestly, after watching Las Vegas last week, I would have been fine if that was the last race of the season. I think that race was a top five race of the season, which nobody expected. I think it was a top five for the wrong reasons, but I do agree. I don't know. You had some pretty good racing there. I think I think Vegas should be first of the season. It should definitely be in the first half. It should definitely be in the first half because A, it would allow the people that live there to not have to deal with this during prime well, time of the year in winter. Yeah. But I would rather oh, fair, I guess. deal with yeah. it in the winter than in the heart of summer when travel season is because right. that was a huge that's issue fair. this year was a lot of people that traveled, especially in the next, like the month upcoming to the race, nothing yeah. was viewable. Everything was closed. The strip was closed off. So it doesn't make sense why that should happen. So well, I think funny enough, they, they did actually put it where it was based on that section of the year being one of Las Vegas's, um, uh, what's, what's it called? Weakest, I guess. Um, the, th- like the time around Thanksgiving is actually a very low profit time of year for Vegas. And I think, they they put it there to spur more people coming to the city at that time of the year. I think that was what the race organizers were going for. Yeah. But another one that I do want to mention, my last one about the race specifically, was Logan Sargent again. Him not being able to hook up a lap at all in qualifying. And he looked the quicker driver, at least in Q1, he looked the quicker driver uh, between him and Alex Albon, but he broke. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but he but he broke track limits on both of the flying laps that he said, and you know everybody can say, oh yeah, he looked faster because he was breaking the track limits. But I like genuinely when he was hooking up laps and in, in practice and that kind of stuff, he he looked decent. Like I, it, it actually really pains me to understand that he did get whitewashed in qualifying because he did have weekends where he was a better qualifier than Alex Albon, but he let it slip away every single time, whether it be track limits or hitting the wall or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, what your take is on that, but Alex, do you have a take? It sucks. 
Not necessarily. I mean, Logan really only scored one point this season, so my focus wasn't on him at all. Yeah. Williams it, Williams did look like a uh, a one car team for most of the season. Well, and I'm, I'm it essentially they, was I, because we'll transition this to the last like major segment of today's episode of just head head to head comparisons of the drivers. So, yeah. Alex Albon whitewashed him in qualifying, but for the race, Logan actually won 3 of those. 3 to 18. Yeah, he he had moments where where he he did race better than Alex over over some weekends. I mean, you you also have to understand like in him getting whitewashed, he still had phenomenal qualifying performances at times. I mean, Vegas is a huge one where he qualified 7th, got bumped up to 6th with Sainz's grid penalty. Like he, there are definitely signs of promise with this kid. And he was a phenomenal racer in his junior career as well. I mean, he won rookie of the year in his first season in Formula 2. In his first season in Formula 3, he should have won the championship. He was just taken out uh, on the first lap of the last race. Oscar Piastri actually won that championship because of that. Um, I I think he's just somebody who might take a little bit more time getting used to the car that he's being put in. He, he also was fast tracked into F1 a little bit quicker than he should have been. Um, maybe he wasn't ready. And, you know, you can chalk his results at the beginning of the season down to that, but he's definitely showed signs of improvement. You know, he was definitely an improved driver compared to the start of the season. I think a lot of the same mistakes he was making earlier in the year. One of them that just vividly stands out is his, mistake on Miami Um, oh yeah I think that was something that also happened more recently towards the end of the year where he just makes these silly simple mistakes yeah I think he just chokes when it comes to the actual race he is not good under pressure he's not no he's not I I just don't think that he can handle that pressure and I think it gets to him and he gets in his head absolutely my my big one towards the end of the season for pressure was his lap at Suzuka where he was on for a very decent lap and then he threw it too hard into the last corner, tried to correct it, put a bunch of lock into the steering wheel and then just threw it into the wall off the last corner. And he definitely would have gotten out of Q1 if not for that mistake. He was on for a very decent lap. I I just, I think there's definitely some stuff going on behind the scenes where they're talking to him, you know, about what he needs to do. He gets nervous because of that stuff. He knows his seat's on the line. He knows he's one of the most heavily criticized drivers on the grid. As somebody like Nicholas Latifi or Nikita Mazepin was, they didn't deal with pressure well either. But I think the hype behind a kid like Logan Sargent was a lot more than somebody like Nicholas Latifi and Nikita Mazepin because he actually had more humble uh beginnings than they did was he still a pay driver yes but you have to understand he he ran out of money uh when when he got up to or when he was finishing in formula three the only reason you know he got that influx of cash was from williams signing them on to their driver academy and giving him the funds and the tools that he needed to be able to succeed in that championship so i i I do respect him a lot he has actually had to fight a lot of his battles on the track, unlike drivers like Nicholas 
uh, Latifi and Nikita Mazepin did. They could they could fight all their fight all their battles with money. But yeah, I I, I think he'll be better next season. I think he'll improve. Well, do I think he'll keep his seat? Yes. Do I think he'll keep his seat after next year? No. I think he'll get one more season though. I hope he surprises me. Next up, we have. All right, so this is the weird one because of AlphaTauri's situation this year. Um, yeah. So we'll start with the two starting drivers for the year, Nick and Yuki. For races and qualifying, it was 8-2 to two by Yuki. Then you go between Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki. It's 3-4 for both race and qualifying to Yuki as well. And then race yep. and qualifying... It is Liam Lawson three to one against Yuki for the race and qualifying two to three to Yuki. Mind yeah, you, that, with the note that Yuki did not start the uh, Italian Grand Prix. Nick DeVries, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Nick is one of the oldest rookies to come into the sport in a long time. And, you know, his his uh, his race victories over Sonoda kind of come with asterisks. Uh, as well, I mean, one of them happened in Monaco, where Yuki had a lot of incidents in the rain that weren't his fault. He had strategical errors from the team, and Nick, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give him credit. Nick DeVries did drive well at Monaco, and he deserved to finish where he did. But Yuki probably would have finished ahead of him in that race if not for the issues that he had during that race. I think, I think Nick DeVries losing his seat was valid looking back on it. I, you know, maybe you should have given him the whole season, but you know, maybe Red Bull was seeing something that we weren't, um, with, with Nick's performances, Daniel and Yuki. I think, I think that one is, I think that's fair to, to say that they went about 50, 50, you know, Daniel's had almost an entire season out of the sport. You know, he's just coming back into a team that he hasn't raced at in almost a decade, but the one that really surprised me is, is Liam Lawson. That kid is going somewhere. And I would love to hear your guys' opinion on that as well. He, he immediately came in and was matching Yuki yeah, right off the go. I've said this where, you know, the Red Bull spot and the situation this year where they said Liam's probably going to have a spot in the grid by 2025 for Red Bull. I don't understand Absolutely. how that's going to make sense when you have Max and Daniel because I know Daniel was offered to be on the Red Bull car next year. So it's, I gonna, think that's definitely going to happen. I, I, I don't think Perez deserves that seat anymore. No. Do you think it's, do you think it's going to be something where they terminate a contract in the off season and Daniel's in a Red Bull, you know, come February, or do you think it's something that's going to happen in 2025? I think it's uh, going to be Perez getting sacked yeah, on I the think, off season. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's, that's, that's I hate to say it, but I hope that happens. It's it's so difficult with that situation because, you know, everywhere, everywhere you go on Instagram, Twitter, like all that kind of stuff, you know, everybody's defense of Sergio Perez is, you know, he finished P2 in the championship. Why should he lose his seat? But you have to understand, come the end of the season, he was legitimately fighting for P2 in the championship when he is in the most dominant car in the history of the sport. Yeah. Perez should have been miles, miles clear of Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, and he wasn't. He struggled so much this season, and it's the same issues that we saw with him last year. 
Sergio Sergio is a very inconsistent driver. On his day, he's great. I don't think on his day he's ever better than Max Verstappen, but he he is not the caliber of driver that should be in that second seat at Red Bull. I think it's uh, I think it's possible though unfortunately that you know they try with Perez into the into the half of the first season and then we'll probably give it up to um Ricardo in the second half of the season because we cannot forget that Ricardo's not the best when it comes to qualifying he's that's pretty fair. reckless yeah I'm I'm pretty sure you know in his tenure at Red Bull Ricardo only took three pole positions as well he, he's never been a, a super good qualifier he definitely fights his battle in the race you know Mr. Last of the Late Breakers um yeah, that's a be great personality. He and he brings a lot of money in for that. Yeah. It, with with the younger generation, you know, F1 slowly being more geared towards the younger audience. Somebody like Daniel Ricardo is huge for that team. And if if that offsets, you know, his performance gap to Max Verstappen, um hey, you know that that could be a choice for them. Haas is another interesting I was one say, as well. Haas is the next one where between K Mag and Nico, race for the races it was nine to thirteen going to Nico, and for qualifying it was seven to fifteen going to Nico. Now the Haas's car has not been good this year. That's not been a secret. They have yeah. had a lot of suspension issues. I know K Mag had that Mexico, huge crash huge. at Mexico. Um but I think and you know, with the previous drama between these two that's a oh yes you can't forget you can't forget hungry 2017 yep so uh they're my favorite uh, clips in the history of f1 they're great (laughs) little exchange they had of just racers and adrenaline rush so but i do think that is a very fair assessment of the team you know it is they're gonna go to the same two drivers a phenomenal qualifier yeah that haas they're gonna go to in canada this year in a haas which yeah was there a grid penalty yeah but on merit he finished p2 i think haas is definitely gonna be in a similar situation next year where it's going to be a split between the drivers and hopefully haas i think it'll go to nico again i do think it will and then you know maybe we'll see k mag win a race for audi you know, I don't know. I think I think uh, don't get ahead of yourself the, there. The K-Mag will not be in the sport team. by 2026. I'll tell you that much. Really? I, I'm calling it. K-Mag is out of the sport by the end of next season. 100 percent. Hot take. But Alex, what I, were you I saying? think I think Gunter is the weak link, uh, the weak link of that team. Really? Good. Yeah. I yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. It well, it's it's interesting because Gunther's pedigree. um, Is actually you know, very big, you know, he worked for Red yeah, Bull I mean, for years. Ja- Jaguar and Red Bull. Like, yeah, sure. Uh, but he doesn't anymore. And there's a reason for that. That's fair. I mean, who would you even bring in as a, as a team principal for, uh, for, for Haas? I mean, a huge one is, I know Andreas Seidel left McLaren, um, to go do his own thing. I believe he's in, in the world endurance championship. Now I could be very wrong on that. So don't take that. Um, as fact, but you know, bringing somebody like Andreas Seidel to Haas, I feel like could be crazy for them. 
crazy good for them. I think Gunther was good at what he was doing um, at Red Bull. And I believe he was a performance engineer. He, it, was, it was some type of um, engineering role that he was holding at Red Bull. But that guy shouldn't be in, in charge of a team. Because all he brings is humor. He does not bring results. And that's been very evident for the past few seasons. Yeah. Let's go over to the the Aston Martin. And uh, Oh, yeah, we touched on this one. We did touch on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, Fernando obviously being a better driver than Lance Stroll, that's no secret. And, you know, we'll make jokes here about Lance Stroll not really wanting to be on the grid because half the time it really seems by his attitude that he just doesn't want to be there. But then he has his yeah. moments. So... For the race, it was 17-4 to four going to Alonso and then qualifying 19-3 to three because Stroll missed Singapore. Oh, yeah. Let's be real. He wouldn't have finished ahead of Alonso in that race anyway, so it really should be 18-4 to four to Fernando Alonso. Yeah. But, hey, I understand. You know, anything can happen in F1 race. I think, I think Lance's one, like, very good weekend – for me this season was was Spain. I think that was the one race this season where he was convincingly better than Fernando Alonso. Um, he finished ahead of him on track. Fernando Alonso had, you know, his share of incidents in Spain this year, um, like particularly in qualifying. Um, final corner, he shot it into the gravel. It didn't crash, but it, you know, it absolutely destroyed his lap. And I think he he started the race ninth or tenth because of that. And Lance had a good qualifying performance, qualified ahead of him, and was the quicker driver throughout the entire race. Um, until until the end, Fernando definitely got into his groove and honestly would have passed Lance Stroll if not for um, Aston Martin going for team orders and just telling them to hold position just to get the points in the bag. But, you know, Lance has always been like this, though. He'll have his his little spurts of of performance but they never last for more than a race it's it's one race on five races off and that is not sustainable for a team like aston martin who wants to be fighting for the championship by the time the 2026 regs come out and this is just another season that you know proves that point that they need a new second driver in that team and felipe drogovic is sitting there just ready to take it I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on that. Yeah. Alex? Um, uh, I don't know much about that team, so I want to hear what you have to say about it, Raven. That's fair. Uh, I, think, I can also interject in again as well. Yeah, like I mean, chill. as much as I can say between the two Aston Martin drivers, the car wasn't good this year. Lonzo's obviously better. Yeah. And Stroll... I think Stroll is just still young, making the same mistakes that other young drivers like Logan Sargent has. Well, you know, I also I, wouldn't go as far to say that the car wasn't good this year. I don't think it was the best yeah. it has been. The start of the obviously, year was great. Yeah, I mean, Alonso obviously did everything that he can to, you know, make that car a competing car. And, you know, for the most part, I'd say that, you know, he did his job in that in that aspect. Absolutely. Um, you know, so much so that, like, uh, I forgot what race it was, but he was, like, 
where's my teammate? And he's like in 13th. <laughs> he's oh. like, of course he is. Oh, I remember. I remember Do you guys Miami. remember the... Yeah, I was Miami. just gonna say where, Miami, where he comes was around the board. The television. Yep. Wow, yeah. Lance Stroll is nice doing a great from job. Lance. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just that is putting his foot down, and so that is just crazy. Oh, I thought that was I mean, so funny like that, when that came out. It's it's solidifying his place in the scene where it's like it, it doesn't matter what car you put me in; it's not the car; it's the person it, driving it. Absolutely. Fernando is like the one person where you can definitely say it is the driver. Like he, he proves you're right. He proves that point where yes, you can have the most dominant car of all time, but the driver does play a part in that car getting the results. Yeah. I, I can't stand people just saying, Oh, it's just the car. He's just good because of the car. There's, there's, and, there's moments well, where, uh, where I, you know, I'll agree with the people and say that like, you know, the car is, you know, a big factor because I mean, uh, was it in the offs uh, in the season? I think it was two years ago or something when, you know, Russell was the reserve driver for Mercedes and they put him in Hamilton's car. He was leading that race. And, um, and they had that pit stop where uh, they kind of destroyed his race. Cause they didn't want a person who was driving Hamilton's car to win a race. Yeah. And, you know, so in, in some regards, you know, I'll say that like, yeah, it can be the car, but at the end of the day, it's the driver in the car. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, going over to Alfa Romeo, there's two notes on this one because neither the drivers finished at Sao Paulo and Botas was disqualified at Singapore or, uh, Silverstone because of a fuel sample issue. But Botas beat Zhao 12-9 in the race and 15-6 in qualifying. I think this, you know, checks out. I think Zhao Absolutely. is a really good driver, and I don't think he did bad this year. There was a lot of moments. I know in, like, the middle part of the season, he was doing really, really well. Hungry. He, st- he stuck at P5 on the grid. Exactly. That was insanely impressive. Yeah, and Botas has also, you know, done great. I think the relationship between these two is definitely mentor-mentee. and Absolutely. I think that's exactly what Zhao needs is just having someone like Botas being there and showing him just different mindsets, different strategies, different ways to do things. But that that duo for that team, I think it will stick around next year for sure. And absolutely depending on what Valtteri wants to do a year after, it kind of depends on that. But I think he may go do some uh, do some cycling. Yeah, I know that's a, a big <laughs> or hobby nude, of his. nude modeling. I know he also did the oh, yeah, he loves his sauna time. He loves his sauna time. Oh, and the, the calendar. Did you not hear about this, Oliver? Oh, I saw it. I yeah. saw it. I might have to purchase one myself. Yeah, so. <laughs> but this this is one that, that I very much expected. I feel like Valtteri's kind of just coasting right now. He knows his time is limited in the sport. He's He's achieved what he's going to achieve in the sport. And you're definitely right in the fact that he's definitely shifted his mentality to mentoring the current, if you want to say current, future of Alfa Romeo. I think two years down the line, the lineup at this team is going to be um, Joe Guan Yu and, and Teo Porcher. I think yeah. those are those are going to be the two drivers. And then maybe you have Carlos Sainz take Joe's spot, you know, when they become Andretti. Um, and not Andretti, sorry, when they become Audi um, in 2026. 
So that one's, you know, been super heavily rumored. But yeah, I think I think Valtteri does his job. He does it well. You know, you're you're always gonna expect him to perform, especially in qualifying. Valtteri has always been a qualifying beast. He took that fight to Lewis Hamilton um in their years together at Mercedes. It's it's the same thing here. It's it's good to see him actually be able to to take on a team leader role. And he's a phenomenal team leader, just like you're saying, doing the mentor mentee. I think it's I think it's very good. They have a very good team dynamic there. And it's something I do want to see grow again next season. And it will. So I'm very excited for them next year. Let's go over to the some of the younger drivers on the grid with McLaren. Now for the race and for qualifying Lando beat Oscar. It was seventeen to five in race and fifteen to seven in qualifying. Both of these drivers are great and have a lot of potential. We all know the McLaren car at the beginning of the year was not the same car as it was for the last, you know, six, seven races, but I think both of these drivers did an outstanding job with the car that they were given. And, you know, absolutely Oscar, I believe he didn't he secure pole. Well, he took his, his sprint race. He took the sprint. Okay. That's what it was. He took the sprint race, but you know, that's more than what Norris has gotten. So exactly. My guy has finished P one more than Lando has let that sink in. I'm taking not, it back to last week. Yeah, baby. I'm not, I'm not making the same <laughs> last week joke. I'm sorry, listeners, but <laughs> no, but I, I think this one is actually kind of crazy to look at for me because I think this is one that you can directly compare to the, the Williams split, the, the 20, 22 to zero whitewash and qualifying. And then the 20 to three, um, in the race, you know, I feel like it just shows how good of a driver Oscar Piastri is because him and Sargent are both rookies. And regardless of the car that they have, you know, all that matters is how you stack up to your teammate because it's the one good benchmark that you have uh, in the sport. And I would genuinely say Oscar has taken the fight to somebody like Lando Norris, who is 100% a championship caliber driver immediately. Like this kid has shown what he can do in an F1 car right out of the gate. And it has me so excited for the next few years with him. Like this kid definitely has a good future in the sport. This kid will be a race winner. I mean, technically he already is, but this kid will win Grand Prix and you know, this kid could fight, could fight for a championship. 100%. It's going to be so cool seeing what those two drivers can do together in the next few years. Cause not only are see McLaren on the top of the of yeah. the page and see them fight for a championship against each other. Sorry to interrupt you. I'll let no, you keep going. You're all good. I just think these two, I think just have such a great team dynamic where yeah, both of these guys would, if they're in a position to win the championship, I think they would want to. But at the same time, if one of them needed to do something for the betterment of the team, I think one of them would do it without beating a heart. So, Absolutely. I think they have the best. I think McLaren have the best driver pairing on the entire grid. Yeah. I, I know that's a, a sentiment shared by a lot of F1 fans, but... I want I'm to reiterate. In, I'm inclined that. to agree with that statement. It's phenomenal. You have you have old hands in Lando Norris, and he, Lando Norris is still super young. Um, but I also you, think you have, he brings a personality in the same way that Ricardo brings a great personality to the sport. Oh, and he and definitely hey, maybe, does. 
maybe he got a little bit of that from uh, from Ricardo as well. Or maybe you know what? Maybe it came from Lando being a streamer. Who yeah, knows? Which I think which I think helps. Which <laughs> he knows how to entertain. And he, he does a he does a darn good job at it. It'd be cool to get a quadrant interview. You know, shout out quadrant. Quadrant but, interview would go crazy. But we'll uh, move on from McLaren here and go over to the French uh, Alpine. Ah, uh, Le Francais. Yeah, uh, qualifying between Esteban and Pierre was eight to fourteen going to Pierre. Now the race. Between the two was Ocon 10, Pierre Gasly 9. But both drivers retired at the Australian, at Silverstone, and at Hungary. So yeah, that that number has to be taken with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, I think it would be split almost 50-50. Probably Pierre getting 13, Esteban getting 11. Yeah. I still think these drivers are good you know i don't personally like esteban with uh all of his penalties but pierre gasly is still such a young talent knowing what he can do in a car that's directly in the middle of the pack of everyone else oh absolutely i think he is still showing out that he can be a good race driver and can still you know carry his own weight compared to of course what happened in the previous years but I think he's he's still in the comeback from that Red Bull drop in yeah, 2019. He definitely he's is. definitely reinvigorated his career. Five second penalty uh, to Esteban for getting beat by Pierre in qualifying, but you know we'll let that one go. We'll just tack it onto the Bahrain GP next season. But I think this one shut up a lot of haters because a lot of people said that Esteban was going to annihilate Pierre Gasly um, coming into this team. A lot of people had no faith in Pierre. Your Esteban fans are very, very supportive and uh, defensive of Esteban. But I think Pierre showed really well that he can fit into that team and fight to be a team leader, um, you know, off the get-go. He's a great driver. And I, I still think Esteban's a good driver, but I, I personally think he's slightly overrated. And, you know, I'll get slack for that, but I don't really care. Um. But this was a fun one to watch. You yeah. know, they had their incidents. Everybody knew that was going to happen too because, you know, through childhood they had a lot of uh a lot of tumultuous tales together. You know, specifically that crash at the Australian GP in your first in your first race was yeah, that was something I knew was going to happen at some point this season. Which but great to watch, bad for the team, but uh moving over to the Mercedes, you know, the Mercedes. Uh the Mercedes uh, Lewis and George split qualifying 11-11 each, and then even though Lewis was DQ'd from Coda, he still beat George 15-6. to Now, George... Fell off. Fell off, but I still think this was one of his best performances all year round, like just genuine season-wise. I'd, I'd agree on that. As I much, think you're as much also as seeing we'll, the resurgence of Lewis Hamilton yes. as well. At the and same time. I think that's where I hope Mercedes has a better car next year where we can see hopefully both of these drivers win a race. I would love to see Lewis win a race again just because, you know, personally I haven't seen that happen yet. But 
George it's also been, it's been so long. And George just deserves one, I think. He's shown that he can drive and be competitive against not only the both Ferrari drivers, but with yeah. Max at points in the season. So of course. You know, he George had his dominant weekend in Brazil last year where he won the sprint and won the main race. But I think I don't know. It, it's so it's so difficult with Mercedes, given all. It seems that all George wants to do is beat Lewis and be the number one driver in that team. I feel like that's all he's ever concerned about. And I think this season was one where he needs to look back on it and realize he needs to put that to the side and focus on the team game more. Yeah, I mean that was the reason why Lewis and Botas were so dominant. Exactly. They knew how to work together. They knew their roles. Not only did they know how to work together, but they were also looking at the big picture and and Russell's, you know, so focused on, you know, beating his teammate and being the guy on the team that's, you know, doing better in the races than his teammate that he's not going to win if that's all he's focusing on. Absolutely. And, and George needs to understand that at some point Lewis is going to retire and he will be the number one driver at that team. And it seems like he has absolutely no patience when it comes to that. It's it's and maybe it's because, you know, at other teams, you know, if you're not doing well against your teammate, blah, 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 you you know, your seat's at risk. George is George is a driver where he should understand his seat is not at risk. You know, the sport, his his team principal fans, they, they know his worth as a driver. He's not he's not going to lose his seat or, you know, get a bunch of slack for getting beat by lewis hamilton it's lewis hamilton right and like, it's not something that lewis is even worried about you know because the whole of course because lewis is well aware that you know mercedes doesn't want anybody else but him of course do do we see lewis fighting for a championship again you know if if the mercedes can challenge the red bull most weekends next year do you see lewis being the one to fight for the championship in the next Three years, I I think Lewis wins another one. I agree. I I could agree with that for sure. I agree with the caveat being that there needs to be a third competitive team that's taking points away from Red Bull. That's the issue here is that it's not about if Lewis can beat Red Bull by himself. It needs to be, can Lewis beat Red Bull with, say, if Aston Martin had a great car, say Fernando's taken maybe a victory or two and just taking points out of... Like maybe Max finishes fourth or something, which yeah, that doesn't sound like a huge deal, but any of those points that you can take away from his victories where he's not 200 points in the lead out of the, the next person, of course, I think that will make it to a point where it is a just more competitive between the whole sport and B. I do think that would allow Lewis to potentially come up and step up to become a championship again. So, yeah, I'm I'm tired of seeing these god awful Mercedes cars. The W13 and the and the W14 were very underwhelming, and very I think they're they're gonna they're gonna get on top of it in this off season. I'm not worried for Mercedes. I'm actually very excited for them next year. I mean, and I think I think we saw you know <clears throat> the come up of the new car within the last few races. Uh, oh, absolutely. And you see that they were starting to understand the pace that they had and get it uh, together, what they needed to fix and get it together, especially in like the last four races. You could really see that, like, you know, there were moments where like both drivers on Mercedes, you know, were giving Max a fight. 
And it's like they've got that pace. It's there. They just need to unlock it. Just keep it. it. Just keep unlock it and then be able to maintain that. And not even maintain it, but go faster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's another story. (laughs) You know, like, but, but it's something that we've seen in the past and they're and they're more than capable of doing. Absolutely. Uh, And I think, I think especially at the beginning of the season, I think Lewis, you know, and he always does this, especially within the last 10 years, he's been driving like, you know, his confidence will go down as he, you know, when he doesn't win a race or if he's not top three. Um, but you can see in the moments where like he's getting fifth, he's getting fourth, and then he gets a podium, he gets second, you know, like you can see his confidence kind of rise uh, and he starts to not only understand the car better, but understand, uh, you know, what his driving to do with skills it. better. You're right. Yeah, I think I think Mercedes will be back next year for sure. Moving over to the only other team that won a race this year, Ferrari. So <laughs> qualifying was between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. It was 15 to 7. The race, now there's a caveat here because Sainz didn't start in GP and uh, at the Qatar and Lewis or Jesus Lewis uh Charles was DQ'd at Coda as well um yeah so it was Carlos 9 Charles 11 so I think with Charles winning both the race and qualifying battle that's something you expect with Ferrari he's been the number one driver of that team for a minute however I will say bar his shortcomings at the end of this season I think this was one of Carlos uh Carlos's greatest seasons in the sport he was just consistent. I don't think anybody could take that away from him. Yeah, he he really nailed down his consistency, and it was better than Charles. The last two mistakes, like, you know, with Vegas and <clears throat> this weekend, I think those weren't all his fault. Like, Vegas definitely wasn't his fault. That could have happened to any single driver on the grid. And Absolutely. The, I think the championship standings would be a lot different. <clears throat> Say that happened to... A Mercedes instead of a Ferrari, you know, Ferrari could yeah. be number two in constructors. So I think that's it's good to see Carlos be consistent. Oh, however, it was kind of lackluster to see Charles not win a race, even though he has been hurts so me every much, time. He's been so much better, but it's just been strategy issues or pit stop issues every single time. And, and personal errors and mechanical yeah, and failures just, and mistakes. Everyone's human I, at the end of the day. You, so. you have to you have to remember. I mean, literally first race of the season, Leclerc was going to finish P three, um, and he had his engine failure uh, in Bahrain, and that's fifteen points that were taken away from him in the first race of the season. Um, I think Charles is the king right now of bad luck in F one, and he probably would have finished, you know, thirty points ahead of Carlos at the end of the season, if not I, for, I, I do those. think Leclerc is a, is a, is a champion driver. I, I think there's potential for him for a champion for sure. Yeah. And a, and a lot of people are losing faith in Charles and I don't know why, like people need to understand that he, he's just dealing with a very difficult team he's, to get yeah, on top I mean, of. He's dealing with a very unfortunate team that you he's know, dealing with Ferrari. It, that's all we need to really say. <laughs> that's, yeah. That really is Ferrari. all you need to say. <laughs> And then we'll move on to the last because we do have a few other things we want to talk about after this. But the last team on the grid, Red Bull. 
Max. I don't really think we. Need I was gonna to say, say we don't here, we don't need to talk too much here because it just look at a highlight reel of the season and it'll be apparent. But Max won everything. <laughs> everything. Uh, it was twenty, 20 to two, two. In qualifying. Yeah. Twenty to two in the race. Yeah, Sergio's championship uh, championship hopes died after Miami. So. Just <laughs> that's like, pretty much it. Just just like uh, Logan Sargent. And that's Red Bull in a nutshell. Yeah, it really like is. Logan I mean, I, there's not much to really say about Red Bull other than the fact that, like, it's just they built a rocket Max. ship, you know? Like, they built a rocket ship, and Max was able to understand the vehicle enough to maximize it to its full potential, and, you know, to the point where he was just playing around on the grid, you know? Like, he'd be in first, and he'd be way up in first and go for the fastest lap just because he could. <laughs> so, as of recording this, it is about 4.30 on Tuesday, the 28th. Uh, postseason testing just finished. And I just, I said, I know I sent it to you, Oliver. Yep. But this is very, very interesting because, you know, they have some of the young guys that were practice driving this weekend. They were also on the grid doing some laps as well. But the the biggest shocker here is Ocon with the fastest lap. Uh, I wouldn't even see I wouldn't even say Esteban having the fastest lap. I would say Patricio Award in P two, McLaren's reserve driver, putting in a putting in a stonker of a lap. And then Logan Sargent sandbagging and actually beating Leclerc for ninth and tenth. Alonzo middle of grid. Alex Albon P25. And I just think Max Verstappen just stopped caring. I don't even think he drove. No, he didn't. Wow. I mean that makes sense. He just won. I don't think Yeah, he they're trying to they're trying behind. to test a lot of young talent there. But Albon actually had the slowest time on the grid. Behind Zhao and Daniel. So yeah, it's it's interesting though because I I postseason testing definitely isn't representative, but it is very very fun to look at. I will say that because you know they're they're testing out new things with the cars. Um, you know they were testing uh, new tire compounds at at some race weekends this week during practice sessions. So uh, you know it's it's more of that. Like I I'm I'm thinking about you know, FP1 at Abu Dhabi where you had Felipe Drogovic P2. I mean, how representative is that actually? Um, you know, you'll, ne- you'll never really know until there's points on the line, I yeah. guess. But it, 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 it's, it is definitely fun to see this. It, it really is. It's and- just a good benchmark of seeing where these guys kind of fit in with the current team that they're driving Absolutely. for. I think it's just interesting to see. Like, obviously, it's... Because I believe it's in a qualifying qualifying format, right? Where it's like hot laps. No, no, it's it's or it's, it's just race. strict testing. Oh, you know, it's you just had, strict test. Okay. Yeah. So you you you're having drivers complete anywhere from fifty to a hundred and thirty laps, um, over preseason testing. It's it's multiple hours on that day. It's one one just huge day of just testing those cars out one last time. And just learning more stuff you can use in the off season to better the car for next year. Exactly, that's exactly that what sense. they're looking to do. 
And then the last little bit of news that I saw and that is kind of breaking hearts around the grid is Franz Toast retiring from Alpha Tauri. Now, with the caveat that he's retiring, I did see that Helmut Marco came out and said that he will be serving as Red Bull's, quote, standby consultant for two years. So he's and not going to be. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know, but it seems like he's not fully he's not out of F1. Paddock. He's not fully out of F1 yet. I think it's yeah. just. And I, I think it's hard. Like, you saw what it did to Sebastian when he, last season, and now he's not driving anymore. And just watching him watch the race was really, yeah. really tough. I think it's the same thing here where, you know. Toast doesn't want to just completely get his hand out of the the pot, where so I think he'll slowly just kind of take himself out of it over the next two years, doing less and less. But yeah, and you have to you have to respect somebody like Franz a lot. You know, he nurtured championship caliber drivers in in Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, he's created race winners in Pierre Gasly. You have Yuki Tsunoda, Liam Lawson, like all those people that have gone through Franz Tost's system, I guess, and they come out on the other side as, as you know, half, you know, half the grid has driven for Red Bull or AlphaTauri at some point. So Franz is somebody that a lot of these drivers are very close to and know personally, and his influence on the sport is huge. He's been with that team for so long. I believe he was still there. Uh, when they were minority, back when they were minority in uh, the early 2000s, I believe he was still at that team. Wow. So, yeah, somebody's influence, like like Franz, is going to be a is going to be a big one to miss from the paddock. And I have no idea who they're going to replace him with either. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, there's there's a lot of changes coming in this off season. Hopefully, we'll know more in the off season in the next few weeks. Like we said, we'll definitely not be doing a weekly podcast over the off-season break just because there's not that much in interesting stuff happening. You know, we'll probably come back at least once a month and do some big news recaps. If there's something that requires a short 10, 15-minute episode, yeah. you know, Oliver and I will just get together and record a little bit and put it out. But otherwise, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Alex, for joining us today. thanks for coming in alex thank you for having me on of course hopefully you'll be a, a little bit of a familiar voice around in the next season where we can just maybe have you in every few episodes if it's nice to have your input here yeah that's what raven's trying to say <laughs> <laughs> but other but it's than nice that, to be here it's yeah well thank you thank you love having you here but other than that we are gonna wrap today's episode up i just want to thank everyone in the listening audience about listening to us rant about a bunch of cars going in a circle. Um, okay, rate us dude, five that's NASCAR. Come on. Okay. Rate us five stars wherever you're listening through. If it's Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. But yeah, please rate five stars. Hope you like. Download, follow, check out all the, all the other podcasts at the Aletheo Network, and you'll see us next time. Have a great off-season, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>